in Lebanon and others in Syria to establish the National Evangelical Synod, which continue to look after all the schools that were established in Lebanon and Syria and all the hospitals for many years until this present time. And the Synod of Syria and Lebanon, which is, as I said, the Presbyterian Church of Syria and Lebanon, have about 40 congregations between the two countries. Some of these congregations are small village churches and some of them are big churches like in Latakia where you have almost over a thousand member church there. And so these churches continue to grow in spite of all the difficulties that the Middle East have faced from the, the time of the Ottoman. All the time there was some trouble, war, revolution, changes, <coughs> uh, government, uh, authoritarian, etc. All these problems started, continue. The ministry of the Synod continued to be very effective to help the people, not only the Christian or the Presbyterian, in fact, the Muslim more, because the majority of the people in the Middle East are Muslim, 90% are Muslim. So our school actually that served the community was serving everybody and mostly they were serving Muslims. So we have graduates from our school who are all around the Middle East and the Arab world, from Saudi Arabia, from Kuwait, from Africa, North Africa, South Africa. Every Lebanon, as you probably know, if you don't know, you should know, is a center of education for the whole entire Middle East. It's the, the pioneer center for education. Has about probably 25 universities at this time, if not more. And it's being like this all the time. So the ministry of the Synod of Syria and Lebanon continued to work with others, and they initiated what is called the Middle East Council of Churches and other ecumenical uh, councils. Now, all of a sudden, in 1975, the Synod was faced with the Lebanon War. And all of a sudden, displaced families from different parts of the country were moving from one part to another because of the war. And the Synod with the Middle East Council of Churches and other NGOs and local bodies were faced with these waves of refugees and displaced people coming from all around the country and concentrating where it was safe. And they have tried to build some kind of programs to help people uh, face this new situation. Actually, it started even before, in 1948, with the establishment of the State of Israel, and almost half a million or a million Palestinian refugee, Palestinians became refugees in the Middle Eastern countries. The Middle East Council of Churches, which was called at that time Near East Council of Churches, established a relief program. So they were working mainly with the Palestinians. Now they have a, phase, a new phase with the new uh, waves of Lebanese displaced. So they have to start another program, and the churches, with the cooperation of other NGOs, started to help these refugees. For 15 years in Lebanon, the church was always challenged to maintain its presence and witness, and serving everybody who was in need. Never looking at what is this man or this woman come from, what background, ethnic, religious, never. Everybody was served as needed. And they continue to do this in spite of all these difficulties. <coughs> and the big challenge was, of course, the resources. This is where partnerships started between local churches in the Middle East and churches in this 
as I said, the church, the, mainly the Presbyterian was started as initiative of the mission, Presbyterian mission. But they were now a partnership with other than Presbyterians everywhere, and the churches connected to each other, and continue this challenging ministry, sharing the love of God, no matter who is the person, and never looking at the person's background. And this is continued. The big challenge was after the Lebanese War 1990, which was somehow stable, the rebuilding. Half of Lebanon was destroyed through the 15 years of war, if not more. Uh, many people were displaced, many people left the country, many people came back, many people didn't come back. So now there was a big challenge also of rebuilding, and the church became very active in the rebuilding and helping people uh, to go back to their villages and their towns and their, uh, wherever they were. Again, all of a sudden, when, when things started to be stable in Lebanon and the church started to grease, the war in Syria started. And the war in Syria shocked everybody. In a way, nobody thought it would be that long. Everybody thought maybe it's a revolution. Couple, uh, Syria was used to this cool, or cool, you call it, cool? Uh, revolution when they changed the So they thought they, this is another one, couple days maybe it will be. But unfortunately, there was many uh, dimension to the war in Syria. Many people interfered. Syrian uh, uh, inside Syria were almost, in a way, uh, interacting in a very surprising way. Some people were uh, astonished. Some people were looking for a better future. And the uprising and what was called the Spring, Arab Spring, uh, thought about that maybe this will bring a good change because we needed this change in Syria. Every country needs change. And we, everybody thought that's what is needed at this time. But then, maybe Adib will talk more to you about this uh, uh, when he speaks here next two weeks from now. All regional, local, international, and as you hear, became now involved in this war. Russia has its agenda, the United States has its agenda, uh, Iran has its agenda, Saudi Arabia has its agenda, Qatar has its agenda, and everybody has their own agenda. They wanted to implement this agenda on Syrian and on Syria, whether the Syrian like it or not. Some Syrian, of course, wanted, and I'm sure many of the Syrian wanted the change to happen. They wanted a good and positive change, not a bloody change. The change in Syria costed a lot. Almost over 4 million refugees, Syrian refugees, are scattered all around the world. More than 4 million are displaced inside Syria. Probably over 300,000 people were killed, if not more. And not many of them are innocent people, children, women, elderly. And we are faced with a huge, great need of how to help, where to help, when to help, what are the resources. So the Synod of Syria and Lebanon again started spreading and calling partners to help. And each congregation of the 40 churches and congregation in Syria and Lebanon became involved in helping the displaced and the refugees. And today I want to share the story of Aleppo Church because, as I said, we have our friend here and I have a small documentary to, to show. The Presbyterian Church, which is called the Arab Presbyterian Church in Aleppo, the Kanisi Al-Arabi, uh, 
in the 2004 and 5 received thousands of Iraqi refugees. Because Aleppo, Aleppo is a large city and Iraq is near Aleppo. And so when the war in Iraq started, especially 2004, after the collapse of Saddam regime and the attack on Christians and the war started moving from one place to another, Syria was flooded with Iraqi refugees. Aleppo Church was one of these churches that have received thousands of these refugees, Iraqi refugees. They opened their doors, they received people to stay in the church temporarily, to, to accommodate themselves later on. They tried to find jobs for them. They provided assistance from partners from the Synod and from other churches and from other partner churches around the world. And they have tried to do their best. And they did. They did in many different ways. And uh, they were amazed that they were able to help that much, but they actually they continue to do this. Now, war is in Syria. Aleppo was, is still the largest, the second largest city in Syria, right, Adib? With, with maybe at that time with six million when the war started in Syria. So now this church, in the Presbyterian church in, in, in Aleppo, was hit twice. And completely damaged eventually and the people of Aleppo now they need help and they started looking around and they were working with other churches and other NGOs in the city to help the displaced and this, their story will be just shortly maybe done here in this small documentary and then not only this when, they, when their main church was destroyed they started right away looking for a place to build a church because they didn't have another place to worship. Fortunately, the church had an apartment which was used as the pastor's house nearby in a building on the fifth floor. And it was empty because the, luckily the pastor has his own house. And so the church said, let us use this apartment. And when I was there last year in May, <coughs> I couldn't believe myself what I saw. People climbing the stairs, no electricity, the city under siege, no water, but rarely you have to buy the bottle of water for like a half a dollar or more. And people were climbing the chair, the, the stairs, elderly people, I saw people almost cannot make it, but they continued to go and worship because they had a vision that one day this church will be rebuilt and they started rebuilding their church. And unfortunately, I don't have the new building here, but I will uh, talk to you about it. The first thing they did when they built the new church, they dug a well, artisan well. The city is under siege, water is rare, and you know, Adib will tell you more about how, how much they faced during this crisis. It was so difficult for them, but the first thing they, saw, they thought, how can we help our neighborhood? By providing water. They were able to get some assistance from an organization in Lebanon and they dug an artisan well and they started distributing water to all the neighborhood. I will stop here, show you this short documentary and I will continue. Uh, John, you want to put these slides? Yeah. Uh, the, 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 this documentary is not very good. It was recorded from a TV station, and it is in Arabic, but it is subtitled in English. So bear with me to try to understand the story. Yeah.
يشهد لحضارة سوريا وسمو إنسانيتها ورفعة عبادة الله فيها Yeah. 
كان الدافع ساميا لتجاوز الامهم ومتاعبهم كما تجاوز السيد المسيح المه ومتاعبهم فرفعوا ادعيتهم طالبين سلاما من الله لاجل سوريا اول مره بنصلي فيها بالشقه هذا الشيء بحس نفسنا لانه من بعد ما استفدوا استهدفوا الكنيسه للمره الثانيه ودمروها تقريبا بنسبه 90% ونحن متعودين وانا وصغير وعائلتي من قبلي وجدي انه نعبد ربنا بالكنيسه هونيك بعوده الكيان ورغم كل هالشيء نحن عندنا اراده الحياه اقوى والاستمرار بالحياه اقوى واستمرار برساله الكنيسه هي رح تكون اقوى من ارهابنا ان مواجهه المتغطسين والارهابيين كانت مسؤولية تبناها المؤمنون من خلال التأكيد بأن انتصار السيد المسيح على تلك القوى هو الضمانة الحقيقية لانتصار سوريا القادم على القوى الشرة. إن قيامة السيد المسيح بين الأموات إحدى أهم أبعاد هي الانتصار على الموت، الانتصار على العنف، الانتصار على الظلم. احتفالنا اليوم بعيد قيامة المجيد هو رسالة موضحة الوعي بأن سوريا ستنتصر على لغة العنف، سوريا ستنتصر على الظلم، سوريا ستسترد سلاما، سوريا ستعود إلى محبة الأولى، فمهما فعلتم نحن شعب يحب الحياة، شعب يؤمن بأن الله حقيقي وموجود وسيتدخل لإعادة المياه إلى احتفالنا في هذا المكان هو رسالة واضحة بأن الشعب السوري سيعود إلى حيث كان إلى المصالحة الحقيقية مع الله عز وجل ونجوء إنها أخلاق السوريين إنها رفعة المؤمنين وكرامة المحبين إنها عزة وعبادة الله إنها الإصرار على محبة الوطن والإنسان church that this was destroyed it is was located in a very uh, uh, bad area because of the fighting between the opposition and the uh, government official army and so they had to move and to look for another place and they were able to find a piece of land in a safer area and they built a new church there actually it's like a prefabricated it is not completely as, as they wanted to because you see in the Middle East we like our churches and our mosques to be huge and the uh, sign of presence so but they, they are satisfied with this what happened now the Aleppo church also have a ministry of education that started by the early missionaries in Syria which was called Aleppo College which was two years college that started long time ago <coughs> probably in the late 1800s 
and continue until the present time. Now it's a high school, it's no more a college. People used to go there and then they continue to come to Beirut to finish their uh, uh, college education in the American University of Beirut. It was connected. The church and the synod still run this high school with students, you know, from the city. They had to stop one year because there were a lot of intense fighting in near that area. There was a lot of damages to the school, but the school is reopened. And they have also an elementary school that they, uh, they, they run, and the church is also uh, helping this, uh, uh, with this education and ministry. They continue to do this in spite of all these difficulties. And I wanted to say, for three years, they were using this small apartment, as you saw, this was one Easter service in that, in that apartment where they could uh, continue. And so this is only one of other churches. The Synod, as I said, have 20 churches in Syria. Damascus is another one. Damascus Church, unfortunately, also was hit twice, and they lost the part of the building, but they were able to rebuild it. Homs Church, because our church in Homs is in the old town where there was a lot of fighting, and also was partly destroyed, it was re rebuilt. There are other churches in areas, in the villages areas that they were hit, but we don't know much what is the situation because it's not accessible for the church people to go to it now. And so all this faced that made the churches in Syria and the Synod, because the Synod was always trying to help by providing resources to these churches, started helping the displaced. And the other example I want to give you where there was no fighting near, near my village and on the coastline, Safita Yazdi is the name of the village, <coughs> they were all of a sudden flooded with displaced families from the cities where there was big fighting, Aleppo, uh, uh, Homs, and even Damascus, around Damascus and all that area. And they came to this area where it was reasonably safe. But this small village church has very little resources. So the Synod was providing some funds to help these. And they started going to these villages where displaced people came. They didn't put them into tents or shelters like uh, refugees. They, most of them found it either deserted building or they were able to rent small apartments and uh, or a school. Sometimes they find a school that was not functioning. And so there are gatherings or communities of displaced families around that coastline area. I was telling uh, yesterday that all, over a million persons came to this area. And the churches there, they started forming committees, local committees. Each congregation formed a local committee to look after the displaced who are coming around it. This is in, in Syria. In Lebanon, the Synod found itself facing a huge problem with Syrian refugees around our churches also and beyond, especially in the Buqa'a Valley, which is very near to the uh, Syrian-Lebanese border. So many Lebanese, many uh, Syrian refugees came to Lebanon, and over a million and a half Syrian refugees are now in Lebanon. Now, all these families have children, and the Lebanese government <coughs> could not accommodate almost 400 thousand children are without a school. They accommodated some, some who are well and they have money, they could send their school, their children to a, a private school, but most of these children do not have the means to go to private schools, and this, even the private school, if they have the money, they don't have the space. It's not that equipped to receive all that big. So the Synod started 
uh, elementary school from age of 6 to 12 and started receiving all these uh, refugees' children in wherever the area is. Wherever there was a camp for the refugees, they started the school. So we have now five elementary schools around the camps and sometimes in other areas to receive these children and help them to continue their education. Some of them were, you know, they, they left school two, three years ago, they were without any schooling. They would forget all what they have learned and, and there's no way. So now this is another ministry that the Synod was uh, faced with and they are have not you know, planned for two years to come to accommodate almost maybe about, uh, I would say, five to six hundred students in these uh, schools. Uh, I think I will stop here and give you a chance to ask any question. And uh, how much time do we have? Uh, until 4.45. Okay, so we have like 10 minutes. And again, I want to thank you and especially this congregation for your support. I want to make a request. I please, as I said yesterday, we need peace in Syria. No other solution will, will bring uh, reconciliation except peace and the people to come together. That's all what we need. With all the efforts that is being taking place, we believe violence, no matter who is doing the violence, will not bring peace to the country. Because violence will bring more violence. That's what we have seen through the history and in many different ways. War will bring more war. We will never be able to solve our problem by just fighting and killing each other. And that's what the Syrians need. With the help of everybody, they need to have this kind of reconciliation among the people. And unfortunately, one very bad effect of the war, not only the destruction of buildings, but the destruction of relationship. People from the same neighborhood, from the same uh, city, from the same family even, they were now not talking to each other. They are somehow uh, enemies, if you want to call it, because the hatred is so bad that, that there are many reasons for this, and the story is very complicated to be able to solve it in, in, in words. But that's exactly what we need. We need more influence on whoever is fighting there to stop this war. We hope now there's a ceasefire that was announced yesterday. It will be effective tonight, actually, because tomorrow, Monday, is the Adha, the big aid for the Muslims. And we hope that this will hold. So pray with us that this peace will hold and that we will be able to retain this peaceful situation for Syria and people will be able to have peaceful life again. Appreciate every word you said. Are you hopeful about the ceasefire holding, which will start tonight? Is there hope that this will hold? Because they tried it once before, it did not hold. Will the Russians and the Americans have enough influence on their supporters, on their friends, to make this ceasefire hold? Because without fighting, yeah. without, you know, when bullets are flying in bombs, there will be no peace. Personally, I am hopeful. I have to be hopeful. I'm a Christian. I am a Christian. I believe in the resurrection and the power of the resurrection, which is based on hope. So I am hopeful. I always pray that this will happen, that this ceasefire will take place. Now, of course, human beings are, as we know how, how it works, Today they were saying there is mistrust between Syria, between uh, Russia and the U.S. about this uh, ceasefire. And I hope this will not 
happen. I hope there will be more trust. I hope other people, uh, you know, not only uh, uh, the major player will also accept this and they will force it. I hope so. We pray. So pray with us also that this will happen. We hear every day in the news about the current siege of Aleppo. Is there any recent news as to how the the church there or the schools there in Aleppo are sustaining? The church, our church and the churches in general were affected and their ministry were affected because of the siege, because of the shortage of the supplies, because of the power, because of shortage of water. So in general they are, but they are still surviving. They are still surviving. And the siege, yes, it is still there. You told me a couple of months ago that the people, especially in Homs, where uh, the, the ISIS came in and, and took over and then they left, were being encouraged to go back and rebuild their church and yes. communities and all. Do you see that uh, happening in other parts of Syria now where people are attempting to go back to areas that uh, yes. have been by I, I think uh, it will happen in other areas. What happened in Homs, the, there was big fighting in the old town, old Homs, the old town. And for two, three years, it was, you know, there was a lot of damages in the old town. And when the government and the opposition were able to agree that the opposition fighters will fight, will withdraw from the city, from the old city, and then the Syrian government will take over the old city, uh, many people, because they, they don't want to be displaced forever and they are paying rent and they cannot uh, uh, continue to do this, they wanted to go back. And the, the municipality of Homs facilitated this return for people who wanted to go by providing water and uh, fixing the electric uh, powers and etc. So they were coming back and there are about maybe over 500 families as far as I know the last time I visited Homs return this all to the old town. I think the same could happen when the people know it's secure. I mean, they know this is safe. They can go back and the church, our church in Homs and other churches, have helped the people to refix, to rebuild, to repair. Especially if it is minor repairs or it is not completely destroyed. If it's completely destroyed, it takes a lot of money and the people in one building, you have five, six apartments, they have to agree on how they can get things together. So that's not easy. But when there are major, minor damages and people are willing to go back, the church provided funds and fixed the homes or the apartments of these uh, villages. So I think this could happen in other areas when there is security, when there is when it's safe to go back. They will not go back when they're still fighting. Last week I heard about two events or two instances near Damascus, two of these suburbs also came to a reconciliation situation between the army and these opposition fighters in there. And now they are uh, asking people who wants to leave and you know, go to a safer place, they can go so they will fix the city. And the fighters who did not want to give up their weapons, they said you can go to uh, the north part city of Idlib. So there is another attempt that is going on. And this is hopeful. This is what we, we hope this will happen all around Syria. 
Yes. Are relationships so destroyed that to prevent peace in Syria? Sorry. You talked about the destruction of relationships. Yes. Yes. Are the, are the relationships so destroyed that peace will be prevented? Is it possible? Uh, that's that's what that's you know at least. The, the political reconciliation is taking place, but down deep we don't know what are the feelings of these people who have been fighting each other. So there is this broken relationship between different people. I think this will take time. It will not happen that, that fast. It will take time for people to reconnect. But at least if there is a political reconciliation, people will start thinking of ways of you know, getting back to their areas, to their homes, to their villages, and at least start negotiating on other things. But the moral and the spiritual relationship, it may take uh, more time. Yes? What policy advice would you give to the United States administration? <laughs> Especially the military part of the United States. Uh, first of all, I think uh, Mr. Obama did well by not interfering directly like what Mr. Bush did in Iraq and bringing these big troops. Although we know there are some, some American troops there, which is not good. So my advice would be not to interfere uh, in, in this way, because they have tried and it didn't work. But to work with other international uh, agency, I mean countries, or whether Europe or Russia, to uh, put pressure on the government and on the fighter somehow not to support anybody. Russia should not support Syria. Uh, America should not support what they call moderate opposition because I don't think when you carry weapon, when you carry weapon and start fighting, I don't think this is a moderate opposition. Moderate opposition could be political, not, not by carrying weapons. So if both put pressure on the fighting parties there, I think this is what should be done. I know when, when the president of Syria feels that he doesn't have the support of the Russian and when the other opposition, the problem with the opposition, there are so many, you don't know with whom to deal. That's, that's the big issue over there. There's no united opposition that you can talk to. But anyway, when they can put some pressure and not to support them with arms or with the weapons, whether America directly or through other countries in the region, I think this would be my advice to this. Yes and put pressure as much as possible to make them both realize that this will not solve their problem. What will solve their problem is to come together and talk about these issues that have started to so one more question. Yeah, um, we talked about the 40 churches that are part of the Syrian Lebanon Summer. Would you say that, that those churches were intentionally targeted or were they byproducts of the destruction that was in the area? Uh, the Aleppo church, I would say yes, intentionally it was targeted because it was an area and there was uh, there was some problem there eventually. I think the other churches, uh, I'm not sure. It is in the middle of the, like the Damascus church is in the middle of the old Damascus city. Uh, and the city was hit by the opposition from outside Shelly. Not that there was no fighting in the immediate old city area. So that, that we don't know, whether it was targeted or not. But what happens twice, that's why people say maybe it was. The one in Homs, again, like Damascus, it was in the old city, and there was fighting there. So you cannot tell. I mean, not only our church. In the old city of Homs, all the churches were, and mosques. 
And in Aleppo, not only our church, the big, uh, the big mosque of Umayyah, which is, goes, you know. So, well, some of them, I would say, it has some purpose, you know, whoever is fighting, find a reason to hit the world. So the five schools that have now been established in Lebanon, are, are those in danger of being attacked or destroyed? No, or no, 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 no. Lebanon does, is not under any dangerous, until now, I mean, we don't know what can develop, but at this present time, these schools are an area where it's safe. They are, they are not private, actually, I mean, they don't charge, it's free. And uh, the, the synod provides one meal and provides all the supplies and the material and transportation. So the, the child doesn't have to pay anything. They all what we need to say, well, I'm interested in joining the school. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they go and register and go through the process. Yeah. Thank you. I'm afraid, but um, I think you, we are almost hit the time. Uh, so let's uh, express our thankfulness to the afternoon really powerful and remind us that Jesus is teaching that love God and love neighbors. So uh, that is very important thing for us to all remind us. Thank you. Um, and just one more thing before we go, please. We have uh, had this uh, wonderful letter uh, writing and signing campaign all summer and it is concluding today uh, with the signing, uh, continued signing of about 20 more uh, to the churches that we didn't get around to highlighting in the summer, but are no less, you know, in our thoughts and prayers. This Thursday, I will be traveling to Louisville to uh, present these letters to uh, Elmerie Parker, who uh, is, is now serving uh, the church in the Middle East. And she will take them around to all the churches. So if you haven't signed one or all of them yet, uh, please take the opportunity to do so. And I'll put them out here if you have a few minutes, and we'll have them out um, after our worship service. So thank you. Experiencing this weekend as we learn about Syria and Lebanon, uh, we are already engaged in helping to some refugee family uh, in Pomona, working at the first church in Pomona. Uh, but people are saying we need some space to think about what our next steps are as a church. So Mary Musa and I will be here next week to um, try to help facilitate some conversation about our next steps as a congregation. So please come join us and share what you are thinking as a result of this summer with Syria. Right, that's uh, 9 a.m. Uh, other education time. And I want to remind you from next week uh, on Sundays, uh, we are going to have a Bible study starting, uh, which is 11.15 right after the service at the library uh, over the office. All right, uh, I want to uh, invite Dr. Nuhad and give us the final blessing for us before we go to inside the chapel. Heavenly Father, we praise thy name for the privilege that you have called us to be your children. We pray that you will help us to be able to be up to this call 
and we pray that you will help us today to be able to understand our role as your followers by spreading love and peace everywhere we go. We pray our Lord today especially for Syria and for its people. We pray that you in your own miraculous way you can bring peace to this country and to its people. They have suffered enough. We ask you and we beg you, O oh Lord, that you interfere, you change the stone heart and you make them hearts that feel, and especially those leaders who are in the decision making, that Lord, you work through them to bring peace to this country. And we pray that your blessing will overflow everywhere in that country and your peace will be spread. For Christ's name, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, sir.